We lift you up for you are great and greatly to be praised. Oh, there is no love like the love of the almighty God. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of you. You are hopelessly in love with you and we thank you. Nothing can separate us from your love. Neither death nor life, angels or devils, nothing, nothing. There's no shadow you won't light up and no mountain you won't climb up coming after us. And we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. There's no wall you will kick down and no lie you won't tear down for us, Father. For your love is reckless. You've abandoned all for us. And we just humbly thank you. We magnify you. Hallelujah. So, Daddy, as we gather together this day in your presence, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do what you do. Lead, guide, direct, instruct, rebuke, show us things to come. Have your way. I yield myself to you right now. Speak through my mouth, think through my mind, move through my body, Father, that I may, according to your perfect will, speak forth your oracles from your word. And I pray right now that you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following for those that choose to believe, choose to pursue, choose to embrace it. I pray right now, Father, that your word falls on good ground this day. Whether you're listening online or whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're listening on SoundCloud, Father, we just thank you that as your word falls on good ground, it shall produce 30, 60, and even 100-fold. We thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. And all those that are in agreement said, amen, amen, amen. hallelujah. If you would, just high-five a neighbor and say, it's good to see you on this Mother's Day morning. Praise God. God is good. He is so kind. He is so gracious. He is so faithful. And with all that, he is so in love with you. I mean, I, you just, when you think about it, it brings me to tears. You know I'm going to do that anyway, but it brings me to tears. Because the owner of the universe is recklessly, hopelessly, continuously in love with me. When you think about that and what he offered up, I don't know about you, but I can't stay in a state of loss. Today we celebrate Mother's Day. And I grew up oftentimes hearing, there's no love like the mother's love. And we celebrate Mother's Day because though it pairs in comparison, mamas for the most part are hopelessly and recklessly in love with their babies. I'm not saying perfectly. 
Lord knows I'm not saying perfectly. But they love us as much as they know how. And when you put it in that perspective, as much as they know how, then you forgive their shortcomings. You forgive those mistakes. You forgive that fear. This morning, we're going to be talking about the reckless love of God. Because, you know, when you think about mamas, you know, from the temptations to the boys to men, from Tupac all the way to LL Cool J, Lecrae, and Andy Minio. Everybody got something to say about mama. Articles all flood the news. You know, the mama that survived over 200 stitches because she fought off the pit bulls on her child. The 130-pound mama that lifted up a two-ton vehicle off of her teenage child when it fell on him. The mama who knew nothing about hemlock, hemlock maneuvers or CPR saves her child from choking on a chip. The mama that dared to jump into the railroad station to snatch her baby that, whose, whose stroller fell into the railroad subway, snatched the baby just in time from getting hit. You know, I think about my own mother. She, I was reminded of a story she told me when we were younger. My baby brother, at the time almost two years old, swallowed an open diaper pen. Some of y'all don't know nothing about no diaper pens. <laughs> But it's about an inch and a half long with this big plastic cap. She's, he, my brother messed around and, and, and got it in his mouth and was about to swallow it. And she said before she thought about how big her hand was and how little his throat was, she shoved her hand down his throat and snatched it out. Throw up and everything on her. Now I think about me when I was pregnant with my daughter. I tease her sometimes, like, child, you know I love you because you almost killed me. <laughs> you know, I had preeclampsia, and I was in preeclampsia. I was in an eclamptic state, cardiac arrest, when they took her out of my body. And we asked, you know, why did my, what, what happened? And the doctor says, a mother's body will sacrifice itself for that baby. Yeah. And when you think about the love of your mother, whether we have good mothers, not so good mothers. Whether we were raised by our biological mother or an adoptive mother or grandmama. We had that maternal figure that abandoned all and loved us through our foolery, our mistakes, our issues. And you know, mama will let you know in a minute, I can talk about my child, but don't you let a false word come out your mouth about my baby. That term mama bear means something. So we're going to be talking about the reckless love of God. Because with all that, when mama was willing to mortgage her house to get you out of jail. When mama sucked it up and went to that school after you was caught selling drugs. 
after mama said, come on and stay with me, even though I told you don't get with that knucklehead in the first place. And he leaves you with three, four kids. As much as mama loved you, it doesn't measure but an ounce to the love of God. And the equivalency of how much we realize that our mother or even father loved us to the best of what they knew is a measure a lot of times to which we can understand the love of God. And a lot of times we have problems receiving and understanding the love of God because as human beings, we err in our love. But we're going to talk about five ways in which God has recklessly loved us and he charges us to love one another the same way whether you the mama or not so let's talk about what this means reckless the definition of reckless according to dictionary.com I didn't look up no 1776 Webster but dictionary.com modern-day definition it says reckless means Utterly unconcerned about the circumstances of some actions, without caution, careless, to be reckless of danger. In other words, the word reckless means I am not about the consequences of what I'm doing. I'm just here to do what I want to do. Now, it could be good or bad. But when you think about its connection to love, love abandons all. Love forsakes all. Love unites, love garners, love believes the best. The word love here, when you talk about what God says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we talk about that Zoe, agape love, and that's good. That's that unconditional, I decide love. That's that love that God says that I choose to love you because I want to. But then this, the word that's actually used here is agapeo. And I had to dig, because I'm like, I know what agapeo means. I know what agapeo means. And we, my husband and I spent seven hours on the road yesterday. The truth of it is we spent seven hours on the road yesterday for 48.99 seconds, right? Because we drove all the way to Albany, Georgia for a state championship for my daughter. And she ran that one event, but we decided we were going to make the best of it and stick around for the rest of the doggone championship. <laughs> a long ride. So basically I had plenty of time to do some research. And I dug and dug. And that word agape yo, its root word was derived from that is to have an affection for, denoting a personal attachment as a matter of sentiment or feeling. It's an emotional investment and commitment to the being upon which it's projected. So in other words, you know, I, now, I don't know about y'all, but I had a life before Christ. And I was, I, I thought that I was in love before. How many of you had that ex that you was like? <laughs> now, baby, he don't, he don't measure the... He, <laughs> that's what he does, like... But a long time ago, I, thought, I just thought I was in love. I mean, I, I, 
We talked about marriage, everything, right? And then found out something, and I dropped him. But even though I broke up with him, my emotions were still, I couldn't, I couldn't think. You ever been, felt some, something like that about somebody where you was just emotionally a wreck? I mean, just stuck. You couldn't get them out your mind. And, you, you know, thank God so, uh, social media wasn't around way back then because I, I probably would have been a social media stalker. <laughs> and I broke up with them. Trying to keep up with what's going on, the new we do. Man, and how she look compared to how I look. Y'all know those stupid things we do. But my emotions were so attached that I, I, I was just hopelessly still, even though I broke up with him and I was moving on with my life. We never got back together. But I was moving on with my life. My emotions were still very much committed to this individual. Agape, yo, even though God makes the decision to love us because of who he is, he created us, which means he has emotions too. And he is hopelessly, recklessly, relentlessly, emotionally still vested in you. He, he can't help himself. He has you on his mind all the time. And that's what agape yo is, is, is that I can't get you off my mind. I'll do anything to keep you in my life. I'm not done with you. I don't care how bad it is. I want you. That's that reckless kind of love of God. So, and what is reckless love? What does it do? How can I identify it? How can I develop in it? Wait a minute, unless y'all want to hear me sniffle all day. I got to take care of something. Wait a minute. Thank you for that little commercial break there. <laughs> But uh, number one, five IDs of reckless love. Number one, reckless love puts forth its best. I quoted it a minute ago, chapter, John chapter 3, verse 16. You can turn there, but most of us know it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life and then this is the thing that love does number one he, did, he gave his best but this is what giving your best does for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved Jesus did not come to remind you of what you did he never he never talked about how bad humanity was he didn't come here to convict the souls and the minds of his people he only came so that, hey, I don't care where you are. I don't care that they caught you in the very act of adultery. I don't care that you have five different husbands and the ones you're with ain't, ain't your husband now. I don't care that you suffer from mental disease. I don't care that your parents were reckless sinners in the beginning. I don't care about what you did. I don't care about your prison sentence. That's not why I'm here. But I'm here as the very best offering because a price needs to be paid. And I'm here to deliver you from that situation. I'm here to pay that price. See, we were in Europe. And mankind was headed to utter destruction. 
It was real. We saw the gates that they held prisoners in that were caught doing that type of stuff. Because they were poor, because they weren't whatever. And they were literally there to be sport to lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. It was sport to be tortured publicly. It was entertainment to be skinned in a stadium. So when you think about just what mankind was doing to itself as a mere form of entertainment in lieu of punishment, the population would have been scarce. But Jesus said, that's not the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. So number one, reckless love always puts forth its best. No one's saying that you have to be perfect, but you put forth your best. When you're with the number one person you want to recklessly love is God. When you're willing to abandon all to say, I love Jesus, men of God, it is not soft to love Jesus. In fact, the hardest thing you will do is live life for a righteous God. In the midst of your peers, in the midst of your environment, in the midst of your family that do things, everything backwards. Men of God, I want you to hear from a woman of God, from someone who sincerely loves you and don't want nothing from you. But to see you in heaven, it's not soft to love Jesus. What's soft is being able to follow popularity. What's soft is being concerned about what other people think about you. What's soft is turning on Christian on Sunday and turning it off on Monday. That's what being soft is. Number two, reckless love sacrifices. Turn with me to John chapter 15. I'm going to read from the message version of this. John chapter 15, verse 11 It says, I told you these things for a purpose, that my joy may be your joy and your joy be wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Jesus says, you are my friends when you do the things that I command you. You're my friends when you do the things I command you. Love sacrifices. He says here, put your life on the line for your friends. In other words, be willing to go that extra mile. It's interesting to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the very, very first thing that he says love is is long-suffering. I'm like, you got a real sense of humor. Long-suffering. That's the very first thing that he says it is because what love does is it sacrifices. And what sacrifice is, is being able to relinquish it, to give it back, to, to, to leave it on the altar, to let it be destroyed, to say, okay, it's gone because I love. You know, when, when, you, when you delete all those old ex-contacts out of your phones because you choose to love the person that you're about to marry, you, 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 you sacrifice that what they're thinking about you. When you decide not to have sex before marriage, you sacrifice what the reputation might be because you want a good reputation with the one that really matters. Love sacrifices, and when he says put your life on the line for your friends, for your friends, he didn't say just mama being willing to put her life on the line. 
He didn't say just daddy being willing to put their life on the line. But when you decide to endure, to suffer because you love someone or you choose to love someone, you choose to be a greater example. You know, we think about oftentimes, I was just talking to someone this morning, uh, Tank and I, we have some interesting conversations sometimes, and, you know, he was accused of, uh, you know, he was telling me a story how he was accused of, you know, I know you got this image and this reputation you got to protect now and, and how uh, he was being talked about because of his new life in Christ. <laughs> and he was saying, this new image has allowed me to maintain being a good father to my children, even though their mother hates me. This good image put me in a mindset to maintain my child support. This new image maintained me being able to be a man of integrity versus a reckless fool like I was back in the day. This new image keeps me faithful to my wife. This new image that you dog so much is to your benefit because I could, you know. I, that was me right there for a moment, you know. He didn't say that. I was thinking, I'm like, image have saved many a people from a can of whoop behind. Number three, reckless love does not fear. Reckless love does not fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 in the Amplified, it says, there is no fear in love. Wait, there is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love and has not yet grown into love's complete perfection. When you understand that fear is the ingredient, when fear is the ingredient to your decision-making process, you've already gotten on the wrong team. There are more limitations on people because they make decisions out of fear and disguise it as something else than any other thing in life. You know, people to, to make a diagnosis. People who are afraid to, to commit to a situation because they've been betrayed before. Men afraid of owning their responsibilities because the excuse of, I didn't have a daddy in my life. When fear is the driver of your behavior and your actions, and I don't care, you know, sometimes we call fear excuses. Sometimes we call fears lack. Sometimes we even call fear ignorance. But guess what? All three of those are overcomable. But when fear is the stimulus of the decision-making process, I want to buy a house but you're looking at $17,000 of bills on your table, zero amount of money in the bank account. Guess what? Faith is now. And with fear, well, if you're expelling fear, then you can say, I trust you, God. And you can start that moment. If it's $5 in a bank account, a pay period. You start turning fear out. You start expelling that fear. Love, reckless love. I already said the definition. It's, it's unconcerned about the consequences. When you recklessly love God, when you recklessly love yourself, you're not trying to, you, you don't live for likes and loves on social media. You're not impressed by 1,200 people following you. Nor are you all geeked up and dependent upon what somebody said because you're following them. 
I wrote down here, when fear is the ingredient to your decision-making process, you've automatically blocked out the voice of God. Because you can't get clarity when fear is in the picture. Number four, reckless love forsakes all. Now, there's a difference between sacrifice and forsake. Jesus was the sacrifice for us. He gave it all up. He, 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 he was destroyed. He was killed, buried, then resurrected. He sacrifices when you just abolish it, destroy it. But see, forsake is a little different because see here in Philippians chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, verses 5 through 8, and I'm going to read from the Message Bible because it puts it so simply. Paul is encouraging us when he's talking about fear, uh, reckless love forsakes all. Think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of what that status no matter, of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. He became human. He stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. When love forsakes... Love is able to, is willing to leave it all there. Perhaps pick it up later. You know, when we get married and he says, uh, are you, uh, you know, we're getting married and you say, um, so-and-so, do you love this woman and you're, uh, and you're willing to give your life for her, uh, for better or for worse, for sickness, for death, for to death, to fire, forsaking all others? In other words, you're leaving them behind. Jesus forsook all power. He forsook his deity. He forsook the comforts and the riches of heaven. He forsook all angels bowing down for him. He didn't sacrifice it because he won't come back. He was going to come back and get it. But he forsook it. He was willing to leave. You know, my husband, when he married me, you know, he had a lifestyle. He liked these designer suits. He was the sharpest minister on the stage. At church. I mean, he, he was the only dude that I knew that had burgundy shoes to match it, blue shoes, green shoes, gray shoes. And check this out. They weren't, you know, Detroit's known for alligator skin. They weren't even alligator skin. When we got married, I didn't even know ostrich skin shoes existed. And my man was ostrich skin, deer skin, alligator. He had skins that I didn't even know they made skin. I thought ostriches were just all feathers. He was a coach, and he, he loved coaching in the summertime, had his camps and everything else. But when here I come, you know, my little rainbow outfits and all that stuff. No shade against rainbow, but that's where I was, at the, you know. Don't judge me. My little, I mean, I was well, but, you know, I, I had other things going on. I wasn't quite as saved as he was at that time, for as long as he had been. When we got married, though, he forsook it. He left it so that he could be a husband to me and give me what I, what I wanted or needed. He took my little red Honda Civic and gave me his Eddie Bauer Explorer. So he forsook those things. He didn't sacrifice them. 
because he was going to get them back. And let me let you know right now, he working hard to get them back right now. These two kids on their way to college, honey, it's all over but the shout. <laughs> but he forsook it for 20 years. He says here, who here has a Mercedes AMG series brand new, like within a year old? Is anybody? What about a BMW M series? Any M series? Come on, y'all loaded up in here. Some of y'all just trying to be humble. I don't want people to know you. Who has a Range Rover Sport two years or younger? <laughs> Tesla. Anybody got Tesla? Okay, you know what? <laughs> Babe, we're gonna have to keep on teaching on that, on that giving and, you know, some of y'all are like, I just don't want folks to know my business. But any practical person, if you had a, what's a car that I like? Um, I like fast cars, so that's why I said a BMW. Porsche Panamera. Oh, no, they got the new Porsche 911. <laughs> oh, my gosh, y'all see the top on that? It's, and then I'll, <laughs> if anybody had the brand new Porsche 911 Carrera, Okay, brand new. That burnt orange color with that dark brown peanut butter interior. The chrome and chromed out, even the stick on there is chromed out on the top with that shield on top. Thing is bad. And you had the keys to that. And I said, you know what? You know me, right? You love me. You know I love you. You know I do anything for you. I pray for you all the time. I got a Buick Enclave. <laughs> Let's trade keys. What will most of you say? I ain't giving you my $360,000 Porsche Carrera 911 burnt orange with the peanut butter interior and chromed out for your little Buick Enclave. Jesus was the Maybach, the Porsche, the Mercedes AMG. He was the Tesla top model. He was the whatever, the Lumina, some, the, the, the Karma, whatever. He was the best line up there. And he didn't only, he wasn't willing to just trade it in for a Buick. He even was willing to trade it in for your bus pass. Number five, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of the remaining of my time. Reckless love unites. Reckless love unites. And I'm here because we're in a day and age where the body of Christ is being tested. It's being tested, and God is saying, he's, he said it, I'm coming back for a glorified church. And what we allow a lot of times is for these worms to come in and disjoint us. And therefore now the world is saying they ain't nothing but a bunch of judgmental, insecure, undecisive people. But as for linked up church, not so. He says that 
in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says here, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you love and you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. They'll know that you are mine. They will know that you are my followers because you love one another. Listen, he didn't say because you love God. He didn't say that. He said, they'll know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Because they can't see your love for God past what they see you, how you treat one another. So then in Psalms chapter 30, 133, stanza 1, he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. See, you know, when you, I, I, I skip down, you, when you understand the enemy, then you're better, you, you don't become the enemy, you don't get in his mind as much as you focus more on what you're supposed to do. You know, they don't, I, you know, counterfeit money isn't identified by people studying all kinds of counterfeits. It's studied because blindfolded, they can smell and by touch know the real thing. They don't study the fakes. They just know the real thing so well that they're able to, just by touch, identify the real money. When you are caught up in the love of God and the love of your brethren, you're not distracted by the counterfeits. In fact, you can identify the counterfeit so well that you already have a strategy on place on how to deal with them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 it says in the New King James, Behold, I set out as sheep in the midst, I set you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, and we miss this as Christians, oh, I don't do that, and I don't do that. You know what? Like, some things I just investigate so that I'm informed. Ain't no, my kids aren't, there's no stranger gonna sneak up on my kids and I'm not already praying about it. It ain't happening. There's not a parent on this earth that's going to open the door to a rapist and say, hey, come on in, have a seat. You want to look at some TV? I got Netflix, Hulu, and uh, on demand. What you want? No one's going to do that. But guess what? If you're not careful, you're not prayerful, you're not discerning, and you're not confident of what you put into your kids. We do it all the time. Because we, 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 we hide under the shade of faith instead of saying, you know what, with my faith I need to be informed. He says for here, therefore be as wise as surplus, but as harmless as doves. Amen. With that being said, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're talking about unity here. And recognizing what's going on around you. Yeah, you want to be informed, but not to distract so that you can identify the fakes versus the real thing. And when he says, love me, and then love your neighbor as yourselves, guess what? That's your focus. That's what will keep you out of harm's way. That's the being ready and not having to get ready when that trump sounds and that shade in the sky goes up in the air. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 11 through 13, and then I'll drop down to chapter 6, uh, verse 16, says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against principal spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand he didn't tell you to fight he's telling you to stand 
But instead, he's like, recognize that you ain't wrestling against flesh and blood. When they talked about you behind your back and you wanted to retaliate, that wasn't a flesh and blood issue if you're a saint. When they stole from you and you wanted to press charges but decided to take the high road, that wasn't a flesh and blood issue. That was a spiritual warfare. And God says that I avenge. Baby girl, baby boy, all I need for you to stand and trust me. And all too often, we engage in fights that's not ours. And, he, and just to get, you, get your mind right, he starts out by saying, put on the whole armor of God there because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But he said, and again, put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the evil day. In other words, this passage where we've been saying, everyone has an evil day. Everyone has a day of reckoning. Everyone has something that they have to overcome and endure. It's not an opportunity for you to rise up, flex your degrees and your know-hows and your hookups, flex in positions and bank accounts and statuses. It's your time to go back to the Word of God and remember that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And any tongue that rises against me in condemnation, it shall be condemned because this is the heritage that I have in Christ Jesus. He's saying that, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith in verse 16, wherewith you can, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. If you would, show that video. was a great I found that video because I was like they need to see it when he's talking about so put up your shield of faith so that you can uh, you, you can quench the fiery darts of the enemy what was going on during the war times of those uh, during those times was you know they didn't have air patrol and all this here stuff they, their most their biggest and most impactful weapon was fiery darts and they would put put sponges and stuff on the ends of those darts. They would soak them in some type of gasoline and accelerant, and they would light those darts of fire, as you saw. And they didn't aim at anybody, did they? They just aimed at enemy territory, didn't they? They didn't aim at one individual, did they? Because the whole point is that they just wanted to get, they, they don't care if they got the, to the soldiers, per se. They were just aiming at enemy territory so that once it hit enemy territory, you saw that one scene where they were wanting to hit the king's castle because they were after the king. They were after the ruler. They were trying to distract them by destroying what was around them. And it was just a bonus that they got some, some soldiers. But you saw the one end, they had their shields so that when those fiery darts came, they lifted up their shields and they were protected. 
See, the enemy is not necessarily aiming at you, but he's sure trying to get your, to your king. And if he could get you distracted, what do you do? You abandon the front line. If he could get you distracted by her not saying hi to you on this day, him not calling you back, somebody not responding to your inbox, if he could get distracted by what somebody said, what somebody didn't do or did do, if he could get you offended, and now you talk about a fellow saint, they just acting like I don't even, see I was down for them in the beginning, but now they act, now, now they all brand new and they ain't got time for me. Oh, so you, you that busy that you can't call the sister back? I called you, you wanna respond with the text? I helped you pack up and move. Now you ain't got time to help me pack up and move. See, when I was down and out, I cooked for you and gave you money to hook you up. And now I need somebody in my corner and you ain't there for me. We get offended. We don't love. We get distracted. And we abandon the front line. And we are the very agents, oftentimes, of division, dissension, and destruction. Linked up church, not so. This is what he says in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, because this is how you should handle people like that. I've made it my practice that, you know, I'll, I'll talk about facts, but, and I'll have a whole conversation in my head. I'll have my own perception, my own ideals, and my own conclusions about what might have, could have, would have been the issue. I'm having a, a dialogue. I mean, I got a full, full screen, 90 minute movie going on in my head. But I'll never let it come out my mouth. Because I don't ever want to be, when he, because he holds us accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth. That's what he does with the saint. Where'd you fail in faith and where was your mouth? It's not a heaven or hell issue with the saints. It's how did you handle what my son did for you? And I've made it a practice to just, those awkward silences, I'm cool with awkward silences. Okay. And here, if you have conversations with me lately and you hear me say, that's interesting. I'm having a whole conversation in my head. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 through 18, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly or their own, their own motives, their own satisfactions, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. We don't, you know, I'm just one of those people that I, you got to know you. I don't, I don't mind confrontation. Sometimes I look for it and that's not a good thing. Jesus is dealing with me, don't judge me. But a lot of times when we identify that, we want to avoid the conversations. We want to avoid the back and forth. And we want to recklessly love them, forget what they think about you. But you know what? You know what? I'm sure that they don't feel that way about you. Someone told me one time, I just, I don't particularly care for you and your husband's ministry. I said, you know what? But I am so sure 
there's a ministry out there that you, can, that you care about and that you, that's best for you. So that's still not an excuse for you not to be plugged in. That was my response. Now everything in me, like, well, I don't care about you. <laughs> but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, amen? Remember, oftentimes, I was reminded of this because I had plenty of training. Oftentimes, we get, we want to deal with other people based on their actions. But we want to deal with ourselves based on our intentions. And this is something someone told me a very long time ago. I was at Ramah. But your smallest deed outweighs your biggest intention every day. So we can't deal with other people according to their behavior or their actions but then want everybody else to excuse us because of our intentions. Can't do that. God is the one that judges our hearts. And he said that he doesn't look on our outward, uh, our outward ways. He has a clear path to our heart. And in doing so, he's the one that tells us to guard our heart. He reminds us, hey, out of the heart flows the issues of life. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So at the end of the day, regardless of your intentions, they might have been up here. But your behavior a lot of times is a heart issue. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. I'm going to end here. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say that I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. And he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this command that we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. You know, we boast about mama's love. We boast about what she's done for us. Many of us do. Some of us want to become the mothers that our mothers weren't. But like I said, mama's love pales in comparison to God's love for us. And he sent Jesus, not so that he could love us from heaven, but he sent Jesus so that he could be an example of how we ought to love one another. Love is long-suffering, but the very next thing is that love is kind. Kind does not mean nice. Kind speaks the truth in love. Kind looks to give an advantage. Nice just covers it up and just pretends, but can talk about you later. So regardless of where you might be today with your mama, some mothers have passed away. You know, every, every year this time, I'm a little sad because this is the time of year that me and my mama Jody we had good times from April until mother, the week before Mother's Day. We planting and everything. If those memories of mama are fond, praise God. Let that be a legacy by which you want to pass on. If those memories were not that great, let that be a learning curve for you to be a better woman, a better mother. But regardless of where you are, man or woman, child or parent, knowing the love of God will keep you in a place of peace and teach you the miraculous. To everyone that's here, do you know you are a miracle? Let me say it this way. You are someone else's miracle. Many of us want a miracle, but you are someone else's miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, are you my miracle? 
Some of y'all have the right, some of y'all have the right prayer. Some of y'all have the right anointing. Some of y'all have the right bank account to be somebody else's miracle. That's the reckless love of God. Amen. You all get anything out of that? Every head bow, every eye closed. If you have not experienced the reckless love.